Love burgers and pizza. Wanna see me eat some? Can't get enough of that meat. Yum. Chili cheese fries and some Mr. Pib. I need tacos with a nasty dip. Pico de gallo, mayo or dryo. Hot sauce or barbecue straight from Ohio. Homemade coleslaw, fuck Boston Market. Junkie blue cheese range into five star bread. Only one time was in pita. Mozzarella feeder. Hello and welcome to Bring a Plate. My name is Peter Taggart. And I'm Rebecca Shaw. And Beck, we're in Canberra at uh, the Tuggeranong Arts Centre. <laughs> yeah, get it going. It. We're not doing any Canberra jokes. No. No, we love it. Not. Yeah. Um, we're here for the Spring Out Festival. It was part yes. of the Spring Out Festival. Um, and I arrived yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, I took the Battler bus all the way down from <laughs> Queensland. Um, yeah. With Mark Thompson, the, the porn candidate. He was desperate to come to Canberra. Um, well, this uh, he probably wants to open up a sex shop in Canberra now. It's too competitive. Oh, too competitive. Um, it's too many. Uh, thank you all so much for coming. Um, we really appreciate it because there's lots of other things that you could be doing on your weekend. And I'm pretty sure um, towards the end of uh, the weekend, like on Sunday when you're doing your ironing, I think... You'll actually come to really regret that you're here. Um, <laughs> we're like thinking of all the things you could have been spending this time doing, um, and there's a lot of other things you could be seeing as well. Uh, I checked the Visit Canberra website um, this weekend, and um, I had a cheeky look at what else was on. Yeah. And uh, Beck, the Blau Map has returned to the National Library. The Blau Map, it's back. <laughs> Round of applause <laughs> for Blau the Blau Map, map please. Um, <laughs> Thanks. That's 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 <laughs> more of an enthusiastic applause than we got. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm, I'm can you explain what the Blau map is? I didn't do that. Much okay, good. <laughs> this is just for this. It's bit. a map of like it's a really early map that they right. had to restore, and okay. I'm afraid it's it's exactly at two o'clock that, that it's been shown as well. So it's literally competing with us. We're competing with a map, and and if I we, dare we, say we, the we map lose is to a winning. Map, <laughs> I'm going to be really pissed off. <laughs> and if any of you walk out during the show, we'll know you're going to see the Blau Map. <laughs> um, so, Beck, I thought we'd start off with uh, what we kind of know about Canberra. Mm. Um, uh, because I haven't been here since I was about 11 years old. Yeah, um, Most Queenslanders only come here when they're forced to come here on school excursions. But you came here a couple of years ago, didn't you? Look, yes, I came for the Folk Festival. <laughs> no big deal. <laughs> As a I'm performer. pretty cool as a performer on my washboard abs. Um, <laughs> yes, I came here by choice to go to the folk festival, and it was wonderful. And I was the youngest person there by about 45 years, so it was good. Um, but I have been here before in grade nine. On the we, they make you drive down from Queensland to Canberra on the bus. The battle that's bus. The battle <laughs> bus. Um, that's a long drive. And then we all got food poisoning on a, on arrival. Oh, so a good memory. Um, yeah. So it was great. Well, what what do you think like Canberra's known for other than Parliament House and and a you know really notable thing? Obviously the Blau Map. I'm not <laughs> the Blau about Map that. number one. Number um, one. I know that your leader Andrew Barr is gay, the only openly gay state or territory leader. Wow. A bit wrong of him not to be here today. <laughs> um, He's at the Blau Map, which is um, also very gay. It's the gayest map. <laughs> Um, I was last here because my sister used to compete in futsal, um, the indoor soccer, the unpopular soccer, um, and she was actually at the AIS, so I, um, went to the AIS a lot and, uh, walked around the corridors and I went and saw, and like, an athletics event. Right. And I remember specifically I saw, um, Matt Shervington compete, 
um, who, as you know, is the Newton's cradle of Australian athleticism, I guess. He's got that... Well, it was, it was a real sexual... It was a sexual awakening moment yes. for me as a young boy. Um, and that's where your love of sport began. Absolutely. Uh, I also did a bit of research. I believe, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but I believe Chanel Cole from season two of Australian Idol lives in Canberra or has lived Does in Canberra. Does anyone know? We're obsessed. We need to know where Chanel is. We've been trying to track down Chanel for <laughs> This is a years. tracking down Chanel Cole podcast, actually. Well, it's funny because as I was trying to research where Chanel is, I came across this thing on Urban Dictionary. So Urban Dictionary usually does like slang terms, you know. But they had like a definition for Chanel Cole. What? And Did we write I think it? no, I think you wrote it. You tell me you listen to this and tell me you didn't write this. Okay. This, this is dating back to January 16, 2005. Well, I don't know where I was. Um, but <laughs> and it it says Chanel Cole was the greatest contestant of Australian yeah. Idol in history. Yeah. Chanel used a combination of lyrics, melody, and tone. That's a song. To enhance and <laughs> of course she to enhance that. and capture the audience. <laughs> Chanel was a unique and lovely individual who, rather than in the competition to win, was there to create both a fashion statement <laughs> and a music statement. Chanel Cole wrote that. <laughs> yeah. She's like, I didn't want to win anyway, lucky, because she absolutely Chanel didn't. was not there to win. She was yeah. there to make an artistic statement. And now she lives in Canberra and loves the Blau map. Anyway, I wish I wrote that because it's a... Be- but what is the slang? What do you oh, mean? Oh, Urban Dictionary. Urban right, Dictionary, sorry. yeah, yeah. Anyway. Um, we tried to come up with a few topical issues to talk about, but... Um, I think there's a lot of really upsetting stuff in the news. Um, what are you talking about? Do- <laughs> no idea. Um, and this Let's g- talk about our ha- favourite Harvey Weinstein movies. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about what I said about Louis C.K. just before the audience <laughs> arrived. It cannot yeah. be repeated. Um, uh. But this might be considered upsetting in some circles. But, you know, it's an issue that I think would take both of our interests, I guess. Um, And it was on the cover of New Idea this week. I know you all read it. Um, (coughs) And it's a story I just can't move away from if I see a a headline pop up. And we'll do a one-off segment to cover this. And I think the segment will be called something like um, Where in the World is Olivia Newton-John's Boyfriend? (laughs) Um, So... (laughs) If you didn't know, Olivia Newton-John's boyfriend, now ex-boyfriend, she's got a new husband, um, uh, he disappeared on a fishing trip in 2005, presumed dead, okay? Not funny. No. Terrible. Mm. And he'd been dating ONJ for nine years at that point. Don't Um, say ONJ. I will. Uh, (laughs) So the charter boat... That's the gayest (laughs) thing you'll hear today. The charter boat he was on at the time, I think this is especially rude. The charter boat was called Freedom. Uh. It, might, it might as well have been called, like, Escape from Olivia. <laughs> like, it's too obvious. Um, Would you be devastated or, like, sort of proud if someone didn't break up with you and instead faked their own went death? Went to that effort. <laughs> yeah. I think is it's that a like horrible, like, it's like taking ghosting to that extreme <laughs> level. Like turning into a ghost. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> It's actually quite nice when you think about it. It's like, I don't want to break her heart. Yeah. I'd rather she think I was dead. <laughs> yeah. It's sort of romantic. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, this is, you know, uh, turned around. When but I want to get out of this podcast, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> okay. This afternoon. <laughs> yeah. Lost on Lake Burley Griffin. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Camera reference. Um, 
he'd been accused of faking his own death shortly after he disappeared. It wasn't long before those accusations started coming out. And uh, so since 2009, there's been a number of alleged sightings of McDermott uh, in Mexico. And US Dateline even went to Mexico to try and find him. Um, but they didn't get any like concrete evidence. Um, and so there was no concrete evidence for seven years until this week, <laughs> those investigative reporters <laughs> at New Idea, they published a photo of what they claim is uh, John McDermott. Now, you've seen the photo. We don't have the photo here today, but um, it's very grainy. Wouldn't Imagine you say that? a face and then it's pixelated so you can't see what the face looks like. Yeah. <laughs> it's, either, it's either definitely Patrick McDermott or any lesbian poet. <laughs> it's got that, it could be... Do we know where Eileen Miles is at the moment? Um, I mean... Yeah, we make light of it, but it's it's serious foe. <laughs> and she doesn't need this. She doesn't need this at the moment. Um, and also, I I truly think that Serial Season 2 should have been about Patrick McDermott. <laughs> oh, it absolutely should have. <laughs> Bo Bergdahl. Who cares? Um, anyway, Patrick, uh, if you are listening, if you're a listener... Give, hear podcasts in Mexico. Give Olivia a call. Just let her know you're let okay. Know, and then call Sarah Koenig and say, I'm available <laughs> for an interview. Well, these, I hope everyone's listened to the podcast serial for all these niche references. No, oh, it's only, uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> more people have listened to Bring a Plate than the podcast <laughs> yes. serial, for sure. Um, well, I think so. Season two, I bet. Uh, as you'd all be aware, uh, we're rapidly approaching the date of the results for the non-binding voluntary postal survey mm-hmm. uh, for same-sex mar- same marriage. <laughs> What's happened to uh, you? <laughs> I don't know. Um, so it's coming this Wednesday. Right here in Canberra, we'll find out the results of it. Um, and, I mean, the campaign's, what, been three months, roughly? Three lifetimes? Yeah. I think well, the unofficial campaign feels yeah. like it's been running many years. Um, but I thought we could have someone on the show today to talk about maybe the politics of the same-sex marriage campaign and maybe what we can expect uh, post-Wednesday. And also, we'd like to kind of share our personal highlights and lowlights of the campaign. Um, And that's why we want to invite up uh, from BuzzFeed, uh, great reporter Alice Workman. Alice, Alice. slip out. Hello, uh, a month ago I met Olivia Newton-John. What? What? <coughs> she came to Parliament. She came to Parliament House. For what, for what reason? Yeah. Um, uh, because she uh, has cancer, tragically. Her, oh, I'm going to get this wrong. Her daughter also maybe had cancer. I talked about that. Um, uh, so she came and uh, did a meet and greet with politicians to, to spruik, uh, well, to ask for basically more uh, money for cancer research, uh, but she she went to a room in Parliament House... Trying to find Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> ..and let everyone in the building just come and hang out with her and she, like, endured every Grease reference repeated uh. at her for hours and she was the most polite person in the world and took photos with everyone, but she kept instructing people on how to take photos of her properly because <laughs> she's a real celebrity and knows her angles. Yeah. So she kept making people hold the camera up really high. And she had this like soft Hollywood lighting. So does this mean nice. does this mean you're going to be in the um, Olivia Newton John telly movie starring Delta Goodrum <laughs> that's coming soon? Is Delta playing? Who's playing you? <laughs> you're playing yourself. Is that real? Yes. What? Yeah. Oh, people know. See? I'm not <laughs> Sorry, everyone. Um, starring Delta Goodrum. Yes. 
All right. Okay, anyway, this is not what this is about. Um, it is. I want the next 45 <laughs> minutes to be about this. <laughs> so, I thought we'd first off share our uh, lowlights of the campaign because highlights are probably more difficult to choose <laughs> from in terms of the campaign. It, it wasn't uh, particularly like a, a positive campaign um, in the end. Who no. could have predicted it? Yeah. Nobody. Um, so, my personal low, I guess, from the last three months... And something, it was a take that I guess we kept on hearing, was that uh, LGBT people didn't need marriage because uh, their relationships don't resemble straight marriages enough and that they can't kind of share the same kind of love as uh, a straight couple can share. And I mean, we first heard this really early on in the campaign from Kevin Andrews, was on Sky News, talking about his cycling buddies and that he shouldn't necessarily get married to his cycling buddies because... You know, they sh- they lo- they share love, mm. but it's the love of friends. Mm. Um, yeah, you don't marry everyone you love, I yep. think was his thesis. But then we heard it again a couple of months later from Mark Coleridge, who's the Brisbane Catholic Archbishop. And I've got a quote from Mark Coleridge here. He dug a little bit deeper. He said, um, Every human being is equal, but not all are the same. Human societies have always discriminated in deciding who can marry whom. Sibling marrying sibling has always been ruled out. Parents can't marry their children. Children can't marry their parents. Well, that's a redundant. <laughs> <laughs> people underage have been disqualified from marrying, but so too people of the same sex. And I think the reason it drove me insane is because... I'm probably a bit like you, Beck. A person no. can call me... <laughs> <laughs> We're nothing alike. Right? Uh, <laughs> a person can call me any name under the sun and I wouldn't be that offended. But if you're going to like call into question whether I can emote the same as someone else like they kind of were implying that gay people were a bit like Westworld robots and that they had you know 90% of human feelings but that other 10% was just missing to be fair you don't have that many emotions <laughs> I'm talking <laughs> you're a bad example I'm for talking this. generally yeah. <laughs> the general population um, but it just drove me insane and it was almost saying that they were like friends yeah they and that they that you know gay couples are really just friends it's almost like re-closeting them in a way that I didn't appreciate yeah, well, it's the whole gal pals thing. That's right. They, Kristen it's Stewart so weird and because many gal they pals. they're like so obsessed with like our sex lives, but then that's the angle they take is like we don't we just are good mates mm. at the same time. It like exists in their tiny brains. Yeah, good housemates. Yeah. Um. So Beck, do you want to share one of your lowlights of the campaign? Mm. You have to pick some. What about the skywriting? I remember you were in Sydney for the skywriting, well, the look, day of. I was having a nice brunch outdoors in the inner west, being a cliche. (laughs) (laughs) And we were talking about if we would fuck our own clones. (laughs) This is what they have a problem with, you know. (laughs) The actual no was just about our conversation. It was like, (laughs) vote no to these guys. Um, I wouldn't. Um, Anyway. um, Yes, and that, you know, I mean, it's such a privilege problem to be like they ruined my brunch <laughs> which is the worst thing you can brunch do ruin it. yeah but honestly do a lot to me but don't ruin my brunch um yeah that was unpleasant just to like because it's been such like so constant that it was sort of nice to go out and like have a conversation with friends and not think about it or talk about it and then all of a sudden it's just like in the sky and you can't, like, it just is inescapable if you put it in the sky. It seems unfair. 
Um, but also probably when um, the rainbow flag outside the front of our house got set on fire. Oh, so this actually happened to yeah. you. Okay. <laughs> well, I wasn't at the house. My straight housemate was, so that's fine. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she copped all the abuse. Yeah, that's, she, right. that's fine. Um, yeah, so they, some guy yelling homophobic slurs, like, stole it and then set it on fire out the back of our house. And then there was, like, neo-Nazi stickers nearby. Yeah, it was all weird. That was that's a lot of effort to come into, like, Newtown, where you know that there's probably a large So many flags. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's dedicated. Mm-hmm. I I admire that. Alice. I don't admire that. Don't don't <laughs> write that down. I'll quote that. <laughs> uh, I reckon obviously all the violence uh, from mm. people getting rocks thrown through their windows to and you know even the Tony Abbott stuff, right? Yeah. So as we're all aware, he got punched by a guy uh, who headbutted. Uh, headbutted. Come on. Oh, so, sorry, sorry, sorry. Headbutted by a guy who um, performs under the uh, moniker DJ Fuck Knuckle. Uh, <laughs> Apparently a, like, well-known Tasmanian man. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's here. He's here, D- DJ Fuckknuckle. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and, like, you know, don't misconstrue me. He, he, he saw Tony Abbott and thought, there's Tony Abbott, what a C word. I want to headbutt Tony Abbott, right? Um, which is something that someone can think if they want. <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> to give any opinions either way. So Hypothetically, that um, might be a but, thing. Uh, yeah, so that happened and then he happened to be wearing a marriage equality pin and, and then Tony Abbott used it to tie it into the debate, which was just pretty gross considering that a week earlier, uh, Kevin Rudd's nephew had been at a bus stop in Brisbane and saw a guy tearing down flags and saying some really homophobic stuff and stepped in and just to say, stop doing it. And got punched as well. And, so then, and then one day after, still in Hobart, there was that transgender teenager yeah. who was assaulted on yeah. public transport yeah. and that didn't get barely any coverage because we were still focusing on Tony Abbott mm. having a sore head. Yeah, and I think one of the things we... Um, Lane Sainty, who works for BuzzFeed, does most of our LGBT stuff, but she and I often kind of talk about uh, one of her biggest frustrations, which is that uh, anyone that does anything... Uh, and supports marriage equality is immediately painted as an activist. Yeah. Uh, but whereas if anyone on the right wing of the uh, political spectrum does anything, then they're like an outlier to the mm. conservative argument, which is a very frustrating thing because how can it be, you know, one and the other? Mm. Surely there are people on the, you know, left wing side of the equation who are activists and are acting outside the kind of yes camp as well as on the right wing side, whereas they all get lumped in together. And I think that paints the Yes campaign in, in quite a, you know, inaccurate way. Yeah. Yeah, a very bad day for the Yes campaign of Tony's, that Tony Abbott headbutt day. Yeah, it, it, was, it was a bad having, day. Yeah, bringing, like, all the official spokespeople out to make comments on it, and if they, you know, didn't make comment on it, that was seen as, like, you know, mm. you're agreeing with this activity. It was horrible. Well, I was in, I was in New Zealand when that happened, <laughs> and I... Because it was the week of the New Zealand election, and all these Kiwis just kept coming up to being, like... Geez, you guys, you guys love to like headbutt your former prime ministers. What's going on? <laughs> and I was like, it's a national sport. Yeah. <laughs> um, Why not? I'm sure if someone saw Kevin Rudd on the street and they didn't like him, they'd headbutt him too. Oh, who wouldn't like Kevin Rudd? <laughs> what a weird hypothetical. <laughs> Typical <Alice>. Queenslander <laughs> supporting themselves. Um, so quickly, I thought uh, we'd all share a highlight of the campaign. Dig deep. Oh. Um, for me, uh, a personal highlight was the opportunity to see someone that I really personally admire um, 
speak on behalf of thank the community. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. That's so nice. This is the second time I've touched back today. Yes. And never before Weinstein today. Weinstein style. <laughs> yeah. Um, Carry on. It was someone I really admired, like I said. Um, it's not Thorpey, although I love it. Great athlete. Even better pearl jewellery designer. Um, <laughs> it, it was Magda Shabansky because, I don't know, like a lot of you, I watched um, a lot of Magda when I was a kid. I thought Magda was great and the chance to see her speaking so eloquently as well especially when she was on like Q&A um, and she was making that argument about you know uh, religious leaders can't instruct what happens in the civil domain just as we can't instruct what happens in the religious domain and I thought that was one of the best or the carols in the domain yeah <laughs> 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 it's weird that they had Magda and not you on the Q&A but, um, I agree I'm mad at her but I just, I, I know a lot of people have probably done more work behind the scenes than Magda has, but for me, getting to see like a childhood hero stand up for you and your rights in that way on national TV again and again and actually going up against people and debating them, which yeah. uh, it's rough. Seeing Magda do that, I, I, you know, that was a real highlight for me. Yeah. Um, so, Beck. That was very sincere. Thank I'm you. weirded out. There'll be no more of that. <laughs> uh, any highlights? Well, I. Um, you know, talking about the flags on my street, like the someone because I live on a, a long street. Um, brag, it's <laughs> 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 not a brag. Um, and someone sent me a text message being like, "I rode down your street earlier and I counted eighty-three rainbows," and like, I think that and a lot of my street friends who really took it upon themselves to like take action without having to involve me at all. You know, like they didn't they didn't come to me and be like, What should I do? They were like, We're gonna hold this calling mm. party and just like put the call out to like all their friends instead of, you know, making it something that I would have to give like advice on or whatever. They just really like a lot of people really stood up and took action. And not looking for pats on the back for yeah. doing that activism. I mean, I think it's pretty common in workplaces, especially if you're like the only gay person or one of two gay people for your woke colleagues and thanks to them like thank you for you know being woke being supportive um but at the same time they'll be like well i voted yes and it's like okay good yeah i'm glad <laughs> i'm not going to bring you in a present um <laughs> the, the thing of but a lot of people did i saw i saw a bunch of it during the campaign of like if you sort of challenge them on anything, they'd be like, well, I voted yes, and now I'm, like, reconsidering. Yeah. And I'm like, because you disagree with, like, a gay person or a gay person does something wrong, you're like... I didn't get an edible arrangement, yeah. so now I'm <laughs> voting no. Um, Alice, a highlight. Besides this <laughs> moment. <laughs> well, I, it's kind of off the back of what you said. I guess the highlight for me has been seeing uh, people relay ordinary stories of people that maybe they superficially thought would vote no that are voting yes. Even celebrities, uh, I know my friend Rob, uh, who works for the Herald Sun, wrote about how Rodney Roode is voting yes. And at uh, the time I was kind of like, oh, God, he's another, like, <laughs> boomer coming out being like, yeah, I'm doing the right thing. And so that kind of annoyed me slightly. It kind of started annoying me, but then 
in my head I thought, well, no, actually it's good because when I talk to people like my grandparents and I say casually, oh, you know, Rodney Root is voting yes, they're like, oh, really? Oh, <laughs> oh well, if Who are your grandparents that they're taking yes. their morals from Rodney well, Root? <laughs> it's in his name. They He's live rude. on the Central Coast. Can it's I change my highlight now because... <laughs> I also I also listened to a lot of Rodney Roode as a child, and I remember like I would just kind of like just forget all his homophobic jokes because he used to do a fair few. And there was one that was like uh, he did an impression of George Michael and Elton John singing, but he changed the lyrics to "Don't let your sun go down on me." Oh, <laughs> Rodney! Tell your grandparents that, Alice. Yes now, so yeah. all is forgiven, yes. Rodney. Um, that one little check mark. <laughs> yeah. Alice, I'm going to grill you now yep. about yes. next yes. Wednesday. Yes. Um, very exciting. What, 9 a.m.? You a. should stay. Uh, it's 10 a.m. and it's in Belconnen, just down the road. Absolutely oh, not. Oh, pop out, um, guys. <laughs> will there be, is it going to be like a ABS man? Like, is it or hated? All woman. <laughs> there was a lot of speculation. Would it be like, you know, when they announced the Sydney Olympics and one and Tommy and Samurai would come out and be like, <laughs> and the winner is, yes. <laughs> um, but, uh, well, like it, they're, they're it, doing, sorry, the park... I'm going to a park in Sydney mm, yeah. and I think they're like, there's big screens or Ian something. Thorpe was and I'm be like, there. what? Yeah. What screens? What are we <laughs> seeing? Uh, so, um, they, they, you know, the government came up with this nonsense thing. So they get to decide how they're going to do it. And um, I don't know whether it's because they're afraid about the result, but Malcolm isn't doing the announcement. Malcolm Turnbull isn't doing it. Neither is Matthias Coleman, the minister in charge. They're letting Australia's two top statisticians. Ooh. Which you I got, think we is, don't need to name uh, them. You know who they are. <laughs> <laughs> which I think is like the meanest thing they could possibly do because these people whose job it is to run statistical surveys have been forced into run the most unstatistical survey of all time. It'll right? be like um, it'll be like at sorry at the Oscars when they bring out the um, the accountants from PricewaterhouseCoopers oh, yeah. <laughs> and they have to like do their little bit just after like Channing Tatum's presented an award. <laughs> yeah, but I feel I mean you know obviously this survey has been horrible for everyone, but let's spare a thought for the mathematicians whose job it is to uh, make statistical weighted surveys that are legitimate representations of how people across the country feel. Um, having to present this. Uh, you know, non-compulsory, non-binding bullshit of a survey, right? So they have to get up at 10 o'clock and announce the results and they will also say how people voted. Uh, so they'll break down the statistics. Maybe that's why they're there, to talk about the breakdown. Mm. I don't know. Um, so it's Can't wait for that. <laughs> yeah, so it's how uh, they'll say what the result was by... The, so the national results, state or territory, and then electorates. And then uh, they will also say participation by age and gender. So, for example, we won't know how 18 to 24-year-olds voted, whether they mm. voted yes or no, uh, but we will know if they voted. That's really annoying. Mm. Yeah, because I would like to know, yeah. like, in my parents' age bracket, for example, I would like to know um, specifically how they voted uh, and the breakdown of genders within mm. that age bracket. Too. Instead, you can just find out which is the suburbs that voted no and never go there. And I guess so I could know. call my dad if they could find him. <laughs> a little bit of a... Uh, Peter's dad is Olivia and John's yeah. <laughs> ex-boyfriend. Patrick, if you're out there. <laughs> what um, a twist to season two of Serial that would have been. <laughs> I actually, I do think the amount of people that voted is pretty amazing. Mm. Like, that return their votes. Yeah. What's yeah, it up to, 78? No, or it's 80. It's actually yeah. up to wow. 80. That's but it's amazing. So it's more than the, the US election, which is like down near 50. Mm. It's more than the UK election. It's more than Brexit. It's more than Ireland when they did their... Um, uh, referendum uh, as well, which is I I uh, have ho- I, I think 
you know, while this is obviously not a democratic process and, you know, I, I don't want to say that I endorse the process, mm. it is uh, encouraging to see that Australians either love democracy so much or thought it was compulsory and thought they had to do <laughs> it, which is really great. Well, I heard people calling and, uh, and some people did assume that it was compulsory. Yeah, I think so, yeah. And they were obviously corrected and... Mm. But it'll be interesting because a lot of uh, – I've spoken to some people that work at the ABS, the poor people that have to go through the forms, and there's, you know, a lot of penises. Uh, yeah. We get a lot of penises around election times, not that this is an election, but there's been a lot of blank forms as well. Right. So a lot of kind of protest voting, which I think is quite interesting given that it's not compulsory, but people chose to send it back blank. Yeah, you chose yeah. to walk to the post office and send back an empty form. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. they're delivering their ASOS probably. It's <laughs> fine. It's convenient, um, yeah. But, I mean, that's sort of to be expected with any vote that you, I suppose. Mm. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah. people And people have apparently written, um, uh, like, long essays on the, like, fi- like feedback for the ABS people and for the government specifically. Who do they think is going, like, I've done data entry after elections and it's, you have a lot of, like, mm. it's a lot of numbers. And it's not like a normal election where you have scrutinies from each party that watch the count for every yeah. single ballot. They only are going to release a sample just to say... Is this a yes? Is this a no? Is this a blank? Yeah. So we won't even get to see all the beautiful artwork, tragically. Um, My friend used... Um, this is really gross. Maybe I shouldn't say it. No, I'll say it. My friend used uh, bodily fluids uh, to draw a, a unicorn. And it was he sent me a picture. It was lovely. Now, when you say bodily fluids... <laughs> yes. We, Se- <laughs> semen. It was semen. Oh, okay. Good. Semen, Sorry. Semen. <laughs> really as, a semen unicorn. Because we, you know what? Because we had a discussion after listening to your last podcast where you talked about Pearl Jam. Oh, oh. okay, right. I don't remember anything we said. We had a long talk about semen on the last podcast. Yeah, too. sorry, sorry, uh, sorry. Alice has muddied the waters of this podcast. <laughs> sorry. Um, I wanted yeah, to ask though. This week, um, obviously, there's been. Uh, some news out that mostly bench MPs, aren't they, yeah. are looking at drafting their own alternative same-sex marriage legislation. Basically, they're saying so to protect the religious freedoms of cake bakers, of probably churches, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite funny because they call, they call it protect religious freedoms, but really they, what they want is exemptions, right? So we currently have place in uh, Australia discrimination law which prevents any service provider from denying service to anyone based on gender, race or uh, ethnicity or um, sexuality uh, because that's the right thing to do. Uh, and we all agree on that. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so what the so the the way that the because the government refused to step up and write their own legislation, they're private members' bills, uh, which means that rather than having kind of the Liberal Party people all sit around and debate bills like they normally will, they don't do that because they're private members' bills. So they decided that they'd write their own one and say that they think that. But the pro- I, I have a real problem with it. <laughs> I was going to say. I didn't know what it sounded like. Like I, I'm pro them writing their own bill or anything, mm. but I have a problem with it because uh, so the, the Dean Dean Smith is the uh, WA senator who's written the, the 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 private members bill that everyone kind of agreed on. So the Greens were involved, Labor and were involved. Everyone was kind of happy with that one, um, and it basically says that if you are a, uh, a, a if you are a, ce- a civil celebrant or if you are a religious celebrant, then you can say that you choose not to uh, marry people. But they want to expand it into uh, uh, not only just being anyone if they have an ex- uh, a conscientious obje- objection. So currently under Australian law, the only thing you can conscientiously object to is going to war. But apparently gays now too, Same which thing. is interesting. Um, 
you know, what a privilege, right? Um, uh, so, yeah, they want to extend it so that anyone, uh, any service provider, whether you're a taxi driver or whether, you know, in America they always talk about bakers, uh, but it could even be people that, like, hire chairs to function halls or, it, like, they can extend it to them. They want to extend it to these kind of, uh, re re like, really offensive kind of parameters uh, in a way that is actual discrimination. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens after, you know, there is a yes result and, and a bill comes up. Yeah. Ha has Malcolm said anything about that yet? I, I thought he'd already ruled that out, hadn't he, or no? Well, they've been very cagey because they have, uh, they've said that they will give their support to one of the, to a private member's bill, and they've kind of always implied that it will be the Dean Smith one. But we have to just wait and see what happens. I mean, Malcolm Turnbull is <coughs> a problem because he capitulates Stop to there. the right yeah. and can't seem to stand up on his own two feet. So yeah. I think that it'll be interesting to see if he... Is you know I don't know if you've heard but uh, they they've lost their one seat majority. <laughs> so yeah, you've you've really done nothing in the past month, haven't you, Alice? <laughs> it's been a really quiet month for you. Um, I just think if yeah. you are against same sex marriage, then you shouldn't be allowed to pass a bill to pass same sex marriage. Like well, even if it's your this new bill that's mm. like has all these amendments. Yeah. If you previously weren't going. Like weren't going to do it, then that should be the law made by me. But that's the thing. I mean, there, there would be some very religious MPs. Do mm. you expect that any of them would actually abstain from voting completely? Because I mean, even though they've got their own alternative bill, mm. you're still legislating same-sex marriage. Yeah. So there's kind of three ways that politicians have said they're going to vote. Um, some who have just said blanket yes. Uh, there are others who have said they are going to vote no. And then there are others, and sometimes this is more the most religious people but are afraid to publicly say how religious they are, say they'll vote however their electorate votes. Mm. So if their electorate votes no, then they'll vote no. If their electorate votes yes, they'll vote yes. And we'll know that on Wednesday, how their electorate yeah, votes? Yeah, okay. and we'll know. We'll get that breakdown so we will know. But, I mean, you, you can never tell until the votes mm. happen. Squabbling in Parliament House happens literally to the minute before people yeah. vote. And do you think it'll, do you, like, your guess, if they'll, because they sit the first two weeks of December? So like we've got the Senate sitting next week. Yeah. So, uh when hypothetically if it's a yes vote on Wednesday morning they could introduce a private member's bill Wednesday afternoon right. and the Senate could vote it through and then it'd go down to the House of Reps. Right. Which is not until the end of November. But if we have an extra sitting week we could draw this out as long as possible. <laughs> um, Great. We Just what everyone wants. Or they could prorogue Parliament and then Cory Bernani would get what he wants which is no vote until next year. Hypothetically as well if there's a majority no vote what do you think the next step will be or can be? Um, can states go it alone on same-sex marriage legislation or is that kind of impossible? The well, the Marriage Act is federal, mm -hmm. so the federal government decide. Uh, this beautiful territory, the ACT, that you're currently sitting in, a few years ago passed a marriage bill making marriage legal and then the federal government stepped in and overruled them. So it is possible for them to do something, but it wouldn't last very long because ultimately it's a federal decision. Uh, if there was a no vote... it I mean, most likely it would mean that nothing would happen. But if, hypothetically, depending on what happens with whether the government is still allowed to be the government, yeah. uh, you know, if, if, they, <coughs> if they lose one of these by-elections, if John Alexander goes, for example, but Barnaby stays, then they wouldn't have a one-seat majority and maybe they could wrangle the crossbench if maybe Bob Catter was off sick or something, they could figure <laughs> out the numbers. <laughs> well... I, for one, hope it's complicated for a lot longer. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I haven't heard enough about possible. this. I just really, like, I want marriage equality, but my main thing is I want Lyle Shelton to be sad. So, <laughs> thank you, Lyle.
Um, so whatever result and however that happens that makes him sad as the longest, that's the one I'm on the team for. What an interesting segue, Beck. Um, <laughs> oh. I thought we could do something a bit special for the live show. We like to um, do something a bit different for these live events. I say live events. There's only been one, one preceding this. Um, but I thought I could give uh, Canberra a bit of a sneak peek at something that I've been working on. Because, um, you know, Beck, I see a lot of theatre. I go to a lot of theatre. All right, we um, get it. The theatre the theater is kind of like my home in the sense that All right. a lot of gay men have been through it. Um, Don't. That's not even true. <laughs> your, true for the joke. Your home is like a play that one gay man saw. <laughs> It's like Hamilton, in, in my experience, gay men don't really care about <laughs> um, I Straight thought, people love it. I thought for this live show we could do a reading, a short little excerpt of a much larger play that I've definitely written. Um, <laughs> it's, it's hot, it's mm. contemporary, <laughs> it's deeply moving, it's only a few pages long. Um, it's my importantly. Kind of play. And now the play is called um, Lyle's Party. Now, <laughs> Lyle's Party, it's somewhat influenced by the Australian classic play that people might do- know, Don's Party. Uh, uh, but unlike Don's Party, it's not set on the eve of an election. It's uh, set in on the eve of the postal survey result um, at, at Lyle Shelton's house. Uh, Which we do not know where it is. It's here in Canberra. He lives oh, in Canberra. It? Yep. No, he's not here. <laughs> Great. Um, and also, uh, I think uh, that... It's different enough to be um, untouchable by Australian <laughs> copyright law as well. Um, and I have not seen any of this, and neither has Alice, so forgive us for what we may say. And it's not written by uh, David Williamson. It's written by me. David, <laughs> Williamson, David Williamson's shit, and I want him to hear it. Um, Is he here too? Yeah, he's here. Uh, so, Beck, what I think we'll do is I'll read the stage directions, and I'll also read Lyle's part because it's the biggest part. And <laughs> And if I don't have the biggest role, um, I'll die. So, uh, and Alice, I've actually I've highlighted some for you as well, and for Beck, I've highlighted. Beck's got multiple roles. Oh, good. Uh, Alice, you've got a role. Um, Alice, you have acting experience. I've spoken to you before. You have acting experience. Unlike Beck, she has. I did backstage rocket step. Yeah, she has cur- <laughs> curtain pulling experience, not on stage. Stage experience. carrying things. Okay. Well, there'll be none of that in this. <laughs> but anyway, I'll be carrying this podcast. That's what I do every week. <laughs> Too, too many people agreed with that for me to be comfortable. Um, so, uh, Alice, here's your Thank script. You. Um, don't, do not read ahead. Um, I also <laughs> wanted to say before we start that I couldn't find any details of Lyle Shelton's life online. Like, I tried to find out that if he had a wife and children, like I assume he does, could not find it. I don't know. Does he have a wife? Oh. Oh, okay. Ooh. Rob, Rob, Rob nodded that he might have a wife. I think he has a wife. Serial season three. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was really pissed off that I couldn't find it. So this, I've got to say, for, I'm not defaming anyone because it's absolutely out of my imagination, um, putting that <laughs> right out there. Um, and it was really annoying for me to use my imagination this much <laughs> as well. So I'm quite pissed off about it. And Lyle, um, if you do hear this, I urge you not to be offended. I... You know, the last thing we would want is to subject you to a dehumanising experience. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, let's go. Let's do this. Oh um, Miles Party, Act 1. <clears throat> I'm going to have a sip of water. Sorry. 
Oh. Do you want a fluffer? Are you offering? <laughs> yeah, maybe later. Absolutely not. <clears throat> okay, so act one. Oh, look, Alice is getting prepared too. Act one. Uh, it's 9am Australian East I- Eastern Daylight Saving Time, the stupid time concept that Queensland does not subscribe <laughs> to. <laughs> the setting is the Australian Christian lobby boss Lyle Shelton's home. A lounge setting sits centre stage, the back of a small TV facing the audience. A front door to the home is barely seen stage right. Marjorie, Lyle's wife, enters sniffing the air. I have no idea if she's called Marjorie. That's <laughs> or if she it exists. Seems, it seems right. Yeah. Um, Marjorie stops centre stage, hand resting on her hips. Lyle, do you smell that? Lyle enters. Mm, yes, of course <sighs> I do, Marjorie. It smells like democracy in action. It smells like the people have voted. It's the sweet, sweet, sticky smell of Australia defending traditional marriage. <laughs> oh, it's a beautiful stench, Marjorie. It tickles the nostrils. Mm, no, that's not it. Marjorie opens the door off stage. She screams. Where? Marjorie, what is it? <laughs> Someone left a flaming bag of human feces on our doorstep. Oh, is that all? I thought it was safe schools. <laughs> a thunderclap is heard. There's a flicker of lightning through the window. A dog howls. Lyle lifts up the bag of shit himself and puts it directly in Marjorie's bare hands. Marjorie, refer this to the anti-terror squad immediately. Marjorie exits. Lyle peers out the window. He's horrified at what he sees. Marjorie re-enters. What's going on out there, Marjorie? Who are all these people on the lawn? They're protesters, Lyle. Protesters, huh? I mean, don't get me wrong. Protesting is a fundamental right in a free society. It's strength in numbers. It's powerful. It sends a clear message when we do it. But when they do it, I just don't know, Marjorie. I mean, I don't even recognise it as a protest. Why are there so many people? Everyone knows a real rally is six pensioners holding Straight Lives Matter signs outside a big W. But this, (laughs) I don't know what you'd call it. I mean, look at them out there. They say it's about gay rights, but it's all about S-E-X, sex. (laughs) People shouldn't be hearing about gay sex from them. They should be hearing about gay sex from me. It's all I read, Marjorie, all day. (laughs) I mean, they're absolutely shameless. Look at that one over there, straight from Mardi Gras. Looks like he's been drinking cask wine all day, prancing around in public but nothing, in nothing but a tiny pair of Speedos. Oh, hang on, that's Tony. Tony, come in. <laughs> Tony Abbott enters. He has come straight from Surf Life Saving and under his arm he carries a shrinking sleeve of the finest Coolabar Dolce Bianco. G'day, Lyle. G'day, Marjorie. Could I offer anyone a suck of Coolabar? <laughs> Lyle turns his head away from Tony and rests his hands on Marjorie's shoulder. Marjorie, remember, it's okay to say no. Marjorie appears tempted but resists. She tightens her apron strings. Oh, I better finish off those angels on horseback. Dr Pansy Lay says she needs a whole tray just for herself. I'll leave you boys to it. Marjorie exits. You've got a good woman there, Lyle. Tall, thick hair, strong arms. Looks reliable. The kind of woman who could carry a drunk MP into the House of Reps completely unassisted. 
Now, Tony, if you're trying to convince me to enter politics again, I'm going to give you the exact same answer I gave you last time. I'm just not ready yet. There's still so much Christian work to do in the community. I guess you're right. Stopping domestic violence, ending gambling addiction, feeding the homeless. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, definitely, yeah, no, all <laughs> that good stuff, all uh, important stuff. I was thinking, though, like, what if we took our tax-exempt money and we bought an island and we called it Trans Island and we just put all the trans people there? <laughs> Lyle shrugs, the doorbell rings. Marjorie, door. Marjorie enters, she looks fucking exhausted. <laughs> she answers a door off stage. Who's at the door? It's Fred Nile and the woman 20 years his junior who is also his wife. <laughs> All right, Marjorie, seems like unnecessary detail, <laughs> but okay. Fred, Silvana, come in, take a seat. Uh, Fred and Silvana enter and hover around the buffet. They fill their pockets with angels on horseback. Who are we missing? Well, Corey Bernardi is running late. He left us one of those robotic messages. No, he didn't, Marjorie. That's just his voice. (laughs) Who else? John Howard. Oh, how come? He pat himself on the back for passing gun control laws one too many times and Jeanette had to take him to A&E. Oh, right, gun control. That was his one thing. Uh, What about (laughs) my ACL colleague, Wendy Francis? Well, you know how Wendy was trying to travel back in time to stop that gay kiss happening on an episode of Glee? Mm -hmm. It turns out that the DeLorean she bought was actually just a Toyota Camry and she ran into a netball court. (laughs) Well, you can't fault her intentions. (laughs) The doorbell rings. Marjorie, door! Marjorie answers the door off stage. The familiar laugh of Corey Bernardi is heard. Look who it is. Corey enters. Sorry, Marjorie and I were just sharing a joke. Oh, share it with us. Climate change. Everyone laughs. So, Corey, what do you reckon? Do you think we're going to win this? Well, it's been a tough fight. A lot of very cruel and hateful stuff has been said on both sides. Everyone nods. There have been vicious slurs. I myself have been called (laughs) big tree. (laughs) A big tree. (laughs) Somebody called me a huge dork. (laughs) Tony, who has woken from a deep slumber, stands. Someone called me former Prime Minister. I am still the Prime Minister! And just because you don't want gay marriage doesn't mean you're homophobic. Putting limitations on people is an act of love, not an act of hate. I love my wife, but it doesn't mean she's allowed to drive my car or go on my shed without my written permission. (laughs) I mean, gay people already have equal rights. Why can't they be equal but separately equal? I think if you look in the history books, it's a rock-solid idea. And I mean, why do they have to call it marriage? Why can't they call it something else? They can invent their own word, like bum sexian. (laughs) Or cunnilingdom. <laughs> Did I say it right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's no Perfect right way to say that, Alice. <laughs> and you know, everyone laughed at me, but it's true. It's a slippery slope. If they demand marriage, people in other types of relationships will expect it as well. A man with two wives, a woman with four husbands, a man with one husband and 12 wives, a man with a dog as a wife. Everyone guffaws. It's disgusting, but it could happen. One day I could just decide to leave my wife and marry my eight-year-old Labrador Susie. I could get a new house for my beautiful chocolate lab Susie, and what? I would just while away the hours running my hands through her luscious coat and rubbing her nose with my nose? Who would want that? Yes, Susie is very, very attentive and is always in a good mood and greets me with affection at the end of every long day. But I don't need that, and I don't want it. After dinner, I don't want to sit on the couch with her and stroke her sexy paws. I don't enjoy it and it's wrong. I mean, it's wrong, isn't it? Is it? Yeah, of course it's wrong. Everyone nods in agreement. Yeah, yeah, of course it's wrong. 
Bit of shush, everyone. It's almost on. Everyone but Lyle and Marjorie are seated around the television in anticipation. Marjorie hands Lyle a glass. Here, Lyle, to toast with. Lyle takes a sip and immediately spits it out. What is this? It's carbonated water. I mean, it's a party. Carbonated water? Marjorie, don't you know the gayest thing you can put in a drink is carbon? (laughs) Bubbles are gay, Marjorie. Really? Since when? Since they stole them from us. They're thieves, Marjorie. First they came for the word gay, then they came for the rainbow, then they took the bubble straight out from under us. But when we win, Marjorie, we'll be drinking water with bubbles every day. Oh, Lyle, you're so romantic. Marjorie and Lyle share a passionate peck on the cheek and a wild pat on the back. Lyle rubs his hands together and turns on the television. The news theme from their ABC is heard. The lights slowly fade until the stage is only illuminated by the gentle blue television light. Cut to black. End of Act One. That's it. (coughs) How long did that take to write? Oh. (laughs) Minutes. (laughs) A long time. Much longer than it should have. Um, Thank you for making me talk about a dog's sexy paws. And I'm I'm really happy to uh, uh, make... uh, um, Alice Workman from respectable organize, media organisations say cunnilingdom. It's one of the great highlights of my life. Um, New highlight. So, Beck, on the podcast... Um, That's Alice. Alice. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, <laughs> Women all look the same yeah. to him. Um, Beck. Yes, hi. On the podcast, we usually do a movie review at this point, but... Um, on our last live show, we actually did a book review instead, and I think it worked really well because we can chat about the book and do a few readings. I'm kind of like a Jennifer Byrne type. Uh, <laughs> you're like Jason, what's his name, who cares? And <laughs> Alice, you're Marie. Um, and we're in Canberra, the nation's capital, uh, home of our federal parliament, and it just so happens that a certain politician's uh, book is celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. And you know, that hasn't. <laughs> do, not, do not say that like that's a thing and it just didn't happen to be published 10 years ago. <laughs> we celebrate book anniversaries. It's like, you know, 75th anniversary of To Kill a Mockingbird, and this is very much in a similar vein as book. Um, and there hasn't been a lot of fanfare for this 10th anniversary, no real. No, I, I didn't know what was happening until you told me. Um, and that's why it's up to us to do it. Um, and so that's why for our special live Canberra show, we're doing a one off book review and we'll be reviewing. Oh, God, it's underneath here somewhere. Um, It's uh, Untamed and Unashamed, (laughs) The Autobiography by Pauline Hanson. Um, We know you've all read it. (laughs) Yeah. So just bear bear with with us. us. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, looking at the book, you kind of... like You're not picking this up and thinking it's that novel, A Little Life. You're not like, you know, Um, you know whose book this is. I have to say that... This is impossible to buy anywhere and it's only available at local libraries. And, and I mean, even then, Brisbane City Council only has like 40 copies of it. <laughs> um, I, I got it, um, I downloaded it from the library website, which you can do now. Oh, Guys, I think she'd like technology that. Um, it expires tomorrow. They <laughs> <laughs> will not be renewing it. <laughs> So, the book focuses a fair bit on her fraud conviction, which was later overturned. So, I don't want to go too much into that because it it gets kind of murky. I I don't know if you know a lot about Alice, but it's to do with, like, funding of an an election and there was kind of misappropriation. Electoral fraud, yeah. Yeah, electoral fraud. Um, That 
scintillating topic we all yeah. know and so, love. So I want to think they did not do recently. No, someone illegally taped one of their meetings. No, so this is the olden days. I want to cut. I want to sort of uh, go over all of that. Not because I'm a Pauline fan, but because it's just not very interesting. Quite dry. Um, <laughs> but I want to cut straight to uh, 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 chapter four of this very well flagged book, as you can see, because chapter four is called uh, "Family History School." Um, somebody a went sentence? to school. That is not a sentence. <laughs> it's just a bunch of words put together. And she's a she's a Queenslander like us, Beck. We know there's many fine education institutions in Queensland. Oh, yes. Um, and in this chapter, she does the classic Pauline thing of she'll complain about something and then in the next sentence, she'll tell you why it's actually quite good. So I'm going to try and find this bit. So this isn't a really interesting part of the podcast while I flick through pages. <laughs> so, okay, here we go. She says, in primary school, I can remember even at an early age, I could be very strong-minded and a bit rebellious One event that comes to mind was when every student had to drink their daily bottle of milk that was usually warm by the time we came to drink it. It was nothing like the malted milks I was used to drinking in my parents' shop. It tasted revolting and I'm sure it was souring by the time we came to drink it, so I refused to. I couldn't give it away, I would pour it down the drain. The milk was ordered automatically for every student and presenting a parent's written permission was the only way it not to be ordered for you. Um, from time to time the teacher would ask the girls who didn't drink milk to stand up. Anyway, very humiliated. But she says later, um, but looking back on the initiative of providing milk to students in primary schools, I do believe its reintroduction would be a great benefit uh, in terms of health for school children. <laughs> so, like, what was that all about? You, and, and there's another example where she says, oh, you had to wear school uniform, it was so strict. And then she's like, but you see the people these days, we need to keep uniforms. <laughs> So that's just an example of like one of many, many in which she kind of uh, contradicts herself. Um, Is this her first book? Does she have more than one book? Yes, she has multiple. Um, The first, I have to double check when this one was published, but... No, oh, 2007. Yeah, yeah, so the first one was the one, the manifesto that they wrote on One Nation. Oh, right, yes. Which maybe was ghostwritten by David Oldfield. Talked about cyborgs and stuff, it was pretty interesting. Can I just say, she has a little um, introduction, each chapter has a little like sentence underneath it the chapter called david oldfield says <laughs> fascination with lip balm well that's a description of the chapter about david oldfield is his fascination with lip balm it's because he's so like you know he loves himself he's always applying a lip balm you know he's such a narcissist it, w- it was a common complaint from my daughter. If she didn't get to use the bathroom first on the mornings he stayed at my home, she would be late for the school bus. He had this fascination with lip balm and continually applied it day or night. His eyesight was not the best and he wore thick glasses. All right. <laughs> Good anecdote. <laughs> Thanks, Is it like Sweetie. a pig and lipstick thing or is it not that clever? No, it, she's just literally like David Oldfield uses Loves lip balm. Lip balm. <laughs> What can I write about my book? Well, that's the thing about this book as well. Obviously, they told her there's a certain number of pages you have to fill, Pauline. <laughs> and she's like, I've got it. I've got this anecdote about David Oldfield's lip balm. <laughs> um, she's got a lot about her parents and their shop. and their she, she brags a bit in the book about, she says they're the first family in Brisbane to run a, um, a pre-cut, uncooked, frozen ship empire. It's like, all right, your highness, we get it. Um, um. Okay, but my fa- okay. There's a lot in this book, but my favorite is it. At one stage, she uses the word pusillanimous, which I had never heard before. Maybe I'm just. <laughs> is that another name for same-sex marriage? Like another alternative? <laughs> name? 
it just means I googled it and it just means lack of courage but she's talking about um like other politicians would like deride her or like make fun of her for having a fish and chip shop and she was like the fish and chip shop put me directly in touch with the average Australian it's a pity I can't say the same for a lot of pusillanimous (laughs) career politicians and I'm like she did not know that word. But she doesn't explain it directly underneath, doesn't it? If you go to the end of the chapter, she'll be like, definition, pusillanimous. <laughs> she provides it. Oh, I did not see that. But um, we were saying that it was, it's kind of like an episode of Friends where Joey you, writes a letter and tries to be smart, so he uses the thesaurus for every <laughs> word. <laughs> and he signs it off with baby kangaroo Tribbiani. <laughs> um, <laughs> there's no way that Pauline Hanson knew that word. I'm putting my foot down. I want a royal commission <laughs> into this. You're being a bit pusillanimous, <laughs> I think, at the moment. Um, I'm being very pusillanimous. Sure. Uh, now, Pauline left school at 16, no judgment there. Um, but she also she met her first husband at 16 and she fell pregnant at 16. Um, and her it's a big year. Yeah, it was a big year. <laughs> Sweet 16. <laughs> um, now, her first husband was this guy called Walter who was a migrant from Poland. Whoa. Mm. He's a white one. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. And, and when she finds out she's pregnant, he's actually living in Blackhall, which obvious, for obvious reasons Pauline doesn't want to go to a place called Blackhall. Um, and, but she does go there. She tracks Walter down um, and tells him she's pregnant. The police track Pauline down because I don't know if she's properly told her parents where she is and they need to take her back to Brisbane. There's, she actually escapes into the bush and the oh, police find her in amazing. the bush. Start of her life of crime. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she, like, describes, like, going under a fence and through... It's very exciting. I mean, eventually, though, they, they do um, move back and become, like, a happy family unit for a while. But bad news about Walter, because later on in the book, we find out that Walter's been having an affair, and Pauline finds it out in a way that raises a lot of questions for me. And I really... I, I want to know if anyone can explain this, so... Once again, this is a great bit of podcasting here. Um, Mum and Dad would sometimes take Tony, who was her infant son, back to the Gold Coast with them to give me a break. By this time, I was also doing some part-time work in the cafe. One day after work, I put on a tape to listen to some music while I cleaned the house. All of a sudden, the music stopped playing and I heard Walter's voice on the tape. He was asking some woman if she loved him. I listened to the whole tape and by the end, I was devastated. Now, so, so let's run through the possibilities. One, it was, so she's playing music on the tape. Yeah. yeah. So music started. So it wasn't so, at the start of a tape. Well, is she thinking the song is Walter? <laughs> no, it, 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 isn't it a mixtape? Like, you know, how people used to make yes. mixtapes and they used to intro the song. Okay, so why would he have taken a tape to record a conversation between himself and his mistress and then leave it around the house? Very careless. It's a bizarre story. (laughs) That's the song. (laughs) I don't understand that. Anyway, I'm sure it's a totally real story. Um, (laughs) Anyway, Walter walks out. It's a dog act. Uh, No child support. Um, Walter sounds like a real piece of work. He's a piece of shit. Um, But luckily, yeah. (laughs) Luckily, Pauline isn't single for long. Um, She's hot to trot, as we know, and she meets husband number two. Uh, while bartending uh, at a very respectable-sounding establishment uh, called Penthouse Nightclub in Surface Paradise. Oh, my God. Bring the kids. Um, now, husband number two is named Mark Hansen, and he's from Ipswich. See, it's all falling mm. into place now. 
Um, and she moves to the switch to be with him. Now... Don't say the switch. <laughs> it's a local <laughs> term. Um, so what's interesting about Mark is he, he's really bad. He treats it very, very poorly. There's a lot in this book that's incredibly sad. And, you know, when she talks about domestic violence, she's got experience with domestic violence. It's horrible. Good news is she does leave Mark eventually. However, um, he does take her on a beautiful honeymoon that she'll never forget because Mark decides for their honeymoon that um, he'll take her to Asia. Perfect. <laughs> Perceptive man, this Mark Hansen. Um, he knows what she likes. So I'm going to read you out about the honeymoon. And I think... You tell me if you think this might have informed some of her later opinions. It's basically a superhero origin story. Yeah. Uh, we went on our honeymoon to Asia visiting Hong Kong, Manila and Bangkok and spent the last night in Kuala Lumpur. We'd met another couple and decided to see a movie in the hotel cinema together. During the show, I ordered an orange drink and a Coke. I nearly fell off my chair when the girl returned with the drinks and a bill for $8. I refused to pay <laughs> and the management was called. Mark was telling me just to pay the money so he could get out of the place. He was worried it would cause too much problem and we would not be able to leave the country the next morning. <laughs> uh, as a compromise, I only paid after vodka and scotch were added to the drinks for the same price. <laughs> um, <laughs> when visiting some parts of Asia, I was not very impressed. In Manila, while walking down the street, some locals spat on the footpath at our feet as we walked past them. In Bangkok, we were taken out for the night with a new tour guide and ended up in a sleazy, male-filled nightclub that Ooh. had women performing explicit sexual acts. I told Mark I wanted to get out of there, but the tour guide was in no hurry to go <laughs> anywhere. He was busy watching the exhibition with a girl on either side of him. Mark also told me the doors were locked. <laughs> And that no one could leave until the show was over. <laughs> the next day, I complained to our regular tour guide who said he should not have taken us to the club. So, that, those were her beautiful honeymoon memories. If I went to a country and was charged $8 for a drink, for two drinks, for two drinks. I would make policy to ban those people <laughs> for the rest of my goddamn life. Um... It wasn't 1920. Like, $8 is not a mil It must have been that much. No, I feel like it was what? I think it was the 70s, maybe, yeah. late 70s. Um, but like I said, she eventually leaves Mark. Good for her. And after that, she starts her own business in Chapter 7. It's called the Fish and Chip Shop, Alice. Um, is it called the Fish and Chip Shop? It's called the Fish and Chip Shop, the oh. chapter. Uh, and What's the subheading under the chapter? Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck. I make my own potato scallops, as she likes mm. to tell people all the time. That's pretty impressive. Nana is good. The and they're definitely called shop. scallops. What do you call them in Canberra? Scallops. No, cakes Alex, get out. Alex, do not call them cakes. <laughs> the subheader for this is, I was not a great lover of seafood. Perfect Sweet. if you want to start a fish and chip shop. Um, but, but also in this chapter, she does a bit of... Um, uh, a bit of how can I be racist when, I'll call it. Oh, how can I be racist when I go and haggle with the Greek men down at the... Yes, yeah, yeah. but yep. also she, for three months, out of however many years she ran the fish and chip shop, she said for three months she hired a woman from Laos. How can I be racist <laughs> when I hire this woman from Laos? She's but that like, is her example. You yeah. can tell her, like, she's, she's trying to do it very subtly, but part of it is she's like, I used to go to the fish markets and people wouldn't speak English well. <laughs> 
how can I be racist if I bought my fish off them? Mm. She does. She often repeats in Parliament that she used to go down to the to buy the fish at the markets and, you know, and we'd call the Greek men wogs and dagos and they just sucked it up. They didn't care. So it's not racist. It was fine. We all just got on with it. Um, <laughs> Islam is a race. <laughs> not a solid argument. Uh, while she's running uh, the fish and chop, chip shop, she actually gets her first taste of politics. So she becomes an Ipswich city councillor and that kind of emboldens her to uh, run for a federal seat, mm. the federal seat of Oxley. Yeah, this book really glosses over why she went into politics. Do you know why? Uh, the, like the reason why she ran in the local has. campaign? No, why? Well, it's not in the book. Okay, and do you know? Yeah. Exclusive. Well, share it with us. <laughs> <for God's sake. laughs> she was protesting against the building of a library. Really? Yeah. Oh, not another The very library, library we got her books from. <laughs> <laughs> Twist, serial six before. <laughs> Well, Why didn't she want the library? Because she didn't know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think uh, she did it. Well, I, she, A, she didn't want uh, another li- a library generally, but she didn't agree with where they wanted to build it. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. It was on top of a fish and chip shop. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, so on reflection, maybe if she, in a new book she could say, I didn't want the library, but... Mm. As with the milk, I've learned that books <laughs> oh, are good yeah. for children. Oh, of course. <laughs> um, it's funny because you know she actually was going to run as a liberal candidate, mm. but they dropped her kind of at the last minute because she wrote a very offensive uh, letter about Aboriginal welfare to her local paper, and people were like, "Oh!" Including the current Brisbane Mayor Graham Quirk, who was in the meeting at the time. They said, "Pauline, this is a no go. We can't have you doing this." Um, so they dropped her, but she still decides to run as an independent, and she has this huge shock victory. And because of the publicity from that letter she wrote to the local paper, she's a national celebrity as mm. well immediately. And for you know a, a backbencher, a, a local MP who often get no publicity at all, she's this instant megastar of Australian politics. Yeah, and it, it elevated her to the point where. Uh People in Asia heard what she was saying about them and that kind of kicked it off into an international story, which is quite impressive for a backbencher from Queensland, really. And the night she delivers her maiden speech, by the way, a bit about the maiden speech, she reprints the entire maiden speech. Good on you, Pauline, to fill a few pages. (laughs) Um, But on the night she delivers her maiden speech, uh, it's the same night she meets David Oldfield of the lip balm fame. Um, And... This book, the most publicity for the book at the time it came out was that she detailed her affair for the first time, her affair with David Oldfield. Which he continues to deny. And, and it, happened at, <laughs> it happened at Canberra's own Sundowner Village Motel, which Ooh. we should all do an excursion to after this. Um, You'll find a lip balm under each pillow. <laughs> But she does detail that in the book. And right after her bit about saying, oh, I had this affair with David, she also says she has an affair or had an affair with um, the security guard for US President Bill Clinton. And at one point she flies over to Washington to be with him. And it doesn't work out, but flying over to Washington to be with this man you've dated a couple of times, very keen in my (laughs) opinion. Um, But I'd love the sliding doors to go like, what if she'd stayed with Bill Clinton's security guard and Hillary Clinton came to Pauline's third wedding? I think that'd be amazing, a bit of history. That could have happened. <laughs> and the US election result would have turned out very <laughs> different. Um, but there's a very interesting part as well of this book, uh, a very 2017 part. Uh, and it's when One Nation 
uh, has their first successful Senate candidate. They got a candidate into the Senate in 1998 um, and her name was Heather Hill. And if you haven't heard of Heather Hill, it's because she never made it into the Australian Senate because of a pesky little section of the Constitution called Section 44. <laughs> <laughs> I did do a, like, <gasps> yeah, when I was reading. <laughs> I won't lie, I was very excited. So their very first senator was a dual citizen. They got caught out by it and then learnt no lessons from that whole episode. <laughs> and they have another senator caught out by dual citizenship. I did mean to look it up. I totally forgot, so good for me. But in the book, she's like basically says that Alan Jones w- like thought it was ridiculous and I was wondering what his whole stance on this I don't I, I think, think he's changed his tune hasn't he but I thought his stance on Pauline or his on, stance on the section on 44 yeah I don't know actually yeah I haven't listened to Alan in a while um I listen every morning <laughs> <laughs> um well, yeah I live in Sydney you could listen yeah yeah it's just just the, the irony is just amazing it's it? so good it's so beautiful um and also like he was I mean if you could rank the seven that went to the High Court, he was probably the worst, Malcolm Roberts, because not only was he, did he lie continuously about the fact that he was British. Um, and He's then like, what do you mean, governor? <laughs> 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 but also it turned out well, under cross-examination that he said that he sent an email <laughs> to the Brits to renounce his citizenship, but he sent it to this made-up email address that he <laughs> copied and pasted from a website page that wasn't even like a clear email address. It had like an email address and then another couple of words at the it end was, of it. It was admin <laughs> at citizenship.com. <laughs> <laughs> and then just thought, oh, well, that's done. It's all fine. What an idiot. <laughs> let's, let's cut forward a bit in the book um, because One Nation ends up being deregistered um, and around the same time, Pauline and David Etheridge, another David, uh, who is also with One Nation, they both are uh, charged with uh, electoral fraud and they're both sentenced to three years in prison. Um, now, Pauline in prison is a fair chunk of this book. Um, she describes her very small cell. Um, she also describes uh, 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 what she does in prison. She went on a hunger strike in the first few days. All she did was not eat and watch TV. It's just like, she's like Mandela. She's like our Mandela. Um, the chapter's called Life Behind Bars, which, come on. That's... Life? That's <laughs> it's a bit hack. And then the, the subheading is resentment and anger. Mm. She's so, very angry. So, you know, she was... Um, she, she's very angry when on the first day, so she's in the protected unit of the prison, and on the first day in the protected unit, they serve her for dinner fish and chips. And... And she refuses to eat it. She says, I refuse to eat it, not because I thought they were having a go, but because they were soggy. It's like, well, okay. She, the, the, part, the prison part is the bit where she talks herself up the most. Mm. She's like, the other women would come to me to check their letters and write their things. She's like, she's like basically like, I was the smartest person in prison. And then she always talks about how much the guards loved her. Even, uh, I think it was an Indigenous guard. She's like even, like, told this story about him liking her. Like, they're all on her side, like, all these prison guards. She's bloody red from Orange is the New Black in this. <laughs> well, one, <laughs> of the, one of the people that she comes to, and she just skims completely over their conviction, but they at least mention her name. She says, I was in prison um, with this woman who I helped write a letter to corrective services, and her name was Faye Cram. Faye Cram is a notorious Queensland murderer who died, I think just before this book was published, maybe. But, oh, yeah, really? she kind of skirts over that conviction for some <laughs> reason. Um, She's like, I helped this man named Charles Manson. 
Um, can I just tell the lighter story? Yeah, yeah. The, this is like in the first paragraph of her stories about prison. Um, she's talking about how you're not allowed to have cigarette lighters. Um, but I know of one girl who had a lighter that she could use after lockdown. She told me every time a cell check was done, she would hide the lighter in her vagina, a popular and ideal hiding place for contraband, I later found out, because internal examinations were not conducted. To the best of my knowledge, I don't believe the prison has the authority to do them. I have no idea what male prisoners must do for hiding contraband. (laughs) (laughs) I think we can guess. It's a true mystery. It's a mystery to me. (laughs) (laughs) All Um, right. No idea. Pauline's fraud conviction, though, is eventually overturned and she is released from prison just shy of three months. But her fights, they're not over, Beck or Alice. Um, she details a stoush in here uh, with the clothing store Q. <laughs> you know the clothing store Q? Apparently head office instructed uh, all their stores not to sell to Pauline and she's very dirty about that. Wouldn't happen at um, Miller's Fashion Warehouse, <laughs> would it? Um, she also tells a story, Beck, and maybe you want to read this bit, but uh, she tells the story of attending a gay nightclub in Cairns. So, so, so she goes I'm, to... I'm control-effing homosexual oh, to great. find this next bit. Yeah, good. Um, it's funny because it's, it, it's in Cairns, this gay nightclub, and uh, God knows what it's called. Um, what's that one in Darwin called? It's called something... For throb. Yeah, I heard oh. that the other... <laughs> thank you. <laughs> great. Yeah, that's... <laughs> It's our audience. Um, <laughs> by the um, way, Canberra's nightclub, Cube. I wonder if fucking Is that real? Name. Cube? They were trying to think of something really interesting because, like, oh, Canberra has this reputation of maybe being a bit boring. What can we call our gay nightclub? I don't know. This Cube. That sounds interesting, doesn't I it? I don't understand the motivations. Um, anyway, uh, um, so, so, so she says mm. she didn't know, Beck, what... She didn't know it was a gay nightclub. She said, I just came here for an event. Like, I came here for Liza's Lusty Leathers (laughs) Night. I didn't know it was going to be in a gay club, you know. As we were climbing the stairs inside the building, the woman accompanying me told me it was a gay nightclub. Had I known it was a gay nightclub, I would not have gone. But by this time, I was committed. You can go back down the stairs. She's been been committed (laughs) to live there. By chance that same morning, my views concerning gay rights had hit the front page of the newspaper and I stated that I didn't support homosexual marriages, homosexuals adopting children or use of in vitro fertilisation programs for homosexuals. So you can imagine when I entered the club, there were looks of total amazement from both clientele and staff. And then she talks about this guy that talked to her and then she says, it was very apparent to me that he was homosexual. (laughs) But but later on in that later on in that chapter she says um what does she say oh it's I ended up speaking to a couple of a couple of good looking homosexual men yeah and she's like oh it's a waste in my opinion <laughs> um which is what a kind she could be she, she could have a huge gay following if she was a different sort of person well think of how she dresses absolutely yeah I can't think of how she dresses oh, very how does she dress sleevesless uh, Floral pattern Big dresses. brooches, yeah. loves a brooch. She loves right. a colour. She right. wears a lot of pink for a ginger. Uh, we should, we should she al- doesn't abide by your <laughs> rules, that's why. She'll do what she wants. We should almost wrap this up, but there is a very special chapter towards the end of the book, um, and it's called Special People I've Met. Um, so she's <laughs> running out of ideas at this stage. Uh, Here's a list of people I've met. Basically, that's what it is. <laughs> but, but she talks about her friendship with someone she calls one of Australia's great artists. Now, it's me. Sydney Nolan, maybe, Brett Whiteley, um, Margaret Ollie, Bill Leake. No. <laughs> uh, it's, um, it's Pro Heart from the Stainmaster commercials. 
Um, Who? Pro Hart. Pro Hart. Oh, Mr. Hart. Remember those ads? Is this a Queensland thing? Spill shit on the floor. Do you guys know Pro Hart? Thanks, Alice. Jeez. They should have called him Pro Pauline Hart. He was a supporter. Get the fuck out. That got that got the reaction it deserved. (laughs) Um, Oh, here's another special person she met, Beck. Um, Page two forty. You'll love this. Um, Will I? I reckon. Stefan of Stefan Hair Salons Oh yes. invited me to lunch one day. During our conversation, he asked me who cut my hair. When I replied I had cut it myself, I could see the look of astonishment on his face. <laughs> she means that as in she thought he was like, I can't believe you do this amazing hairstyle yourself. But he was like, you should go to a hairdresser. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Doesn't she write? She oh, she receives a lot of letters. They're also special people, aren't they? Yeah, there's a, she says who I've met, and mm. then writes some of the letters out. Um, letters she's been sent. Yeah, letters yeah. she's been sent, and so she gets weird ones like, "Dear Pauline, put your hand onto mine and take some of my strength, as you need more than myself at this point in time." Once again, best wishes, Sally Three, Sophie Ten. Like, who are these children that are writing to... Whose idol is Pauline Hanson? You know, it's coming around Christmas. You write your list to Pauline. (laughs) (laughs) I want to say, though, the last chapter of this book, if you make it to the last chapter, you're in for a real treat because she talks about her time on Dancing with the Stars that we all remember. She's got at least three pictures of herself on Dancing with the Stars in this book. She looks good. You go and find it, yeah. Um, but she talks about her very good friendship with a homosexual, Todd McKenney. Ah, um, he's a huge one. Beautiful. I think, yeah, I think it's good. Mm. Yeah. Um, I've been watching a lot of uh, Project Runway, so I'm an expert now in (laughs) fashion. So, so she didn't just meet Todd McKenney though on uh, on Dancing with the Stars. She actually toured around with him. He had like a weird. Cabaret show. Yeah, there's the picture. They did GHB together. <laughs> yeah, in that Is that park GHB in or is that the hair thing? GD, GB. Oh, God. What's okay. the hair straightener? So I, we buy all of our photos from AAP and there's a series of photos on AAP of Pauline Hansen in a sparkly sailor outfit. That's where they're from. This tour. Oh. This Don't Beginny tour. Um, and oh but, but every night, and she did like multiple dates, so she did like maybe 20 or 30 shows all around the country and they bring her on to do the Paso Doble. And some of you may or may not, may or may not know. I was. I'm getting emotional. I was <laughs> blocked by Todd McKenney on Twitter this year. <laughs> I had a feud Why? with Todd McKenney. I said something. Like, he was on like one of the morning shows talking about uh, Muslims, and I said, "Isn't it great to hear uh, Todd McKenney's, uh, you know, input on on Islam immigration?" type stuff and he said something back to me and I said something back to him. Anyway, all is forgiven. <laughs> all is forgiven. He's a really good bloke. Not good enough for Broadway. <laughs> um, wow. Really good. That's, that was the gayest that's insult. That's the gayest insult I've ever heard. Not good enough for Broadway. Um, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Tommy Kenny just like fell off his chair somewhere. <laughs> he did the mark lay. <laughs> um and apparently, though, uh, while Pauline was touring with Todd McKenney in his stage show, Bette Midler was on tour in Australia at the same time. And she got up in Sydney one night and said, and Pauline includes this in her book, and said, I've got something Pauline hasn't got, talent, <laughs> which Pauline takes huge offence to. You should be grateful your name even came out of Bette Midler's yeah, mouth. Um, <laughs> and that might be true, but you know what? Both of them 
are untamed and unashamed. <laughs> They've got that in common. So thank you. Thank you, Jason. Uh, thank you, Marie. <laughs> and that book club is cancelled now, isn't book it? Book club's over now. Yeah, okay. yep. <laughs> Can you imagine, though, Pauline and Bet doing a number? I refuse to imagine that. No way. <laughs> It'd be quite something. Okay. I wonder what her singing voice is like. Oh, she mentioned she sang. Um, sorry to still go on. She mentioned she sang on a local Brisbane talent show when she was a child. She sang "Feed the Birds" from Mary Poppins. Remember that? <laughs> Feed the Tuppence. Feed the Tuppence. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Beautiful. And she didn't win. I did. I heard, <laughs> I heard her sing. She um, Dal Braithwaite came to Parliament and sung "The Horses" recently. And That's a, uh, do not laugh at that song. She That's was standing song. at the back of the room, kind of tapping her foot, and people were having a go at her for not embracing Australia's true national anthem. And uh, then later she, she was on TV. Uh, she does Sunrise, isn't it? Mm. She got bagged out about it and she sung a bit of it. And then, Mac- and then when Macklemore um, sang at the NRL Grand Final, she said, should have been Daryl Braithwaite. Well, she should have gone to the races. That international act, Daryl Braithwaite. (laughs) Um, Daryl Braithwaite singing Same Love. Currently opening for John Farmer. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, Did you know Horses is a cover? Yes. Yeah. Okay, fine. (laughs) Trying to start my new thing. Everyone knows Torn is a cover now. Um, I think that might be it for today. We're very emotionally drained. Um, (laughs) Been in Canberra for 12 hours Uh, now. I hope you... I hope you all uh, get the news you want from next Wednesday's postal survey result. Um, but obviously, gay people will continue to exist if it's a no, because uh, gay people are very good at surviving bullshit, I think. Um, uh, no, I'm going to give up. Okay, I'm gonna <laughs> you're going to turn straight. All right. <laughs> I'm going to become straight immediately. Um, um, I want to thank... Yes. Yeah, yeah, go but on. you should get out and see some more Spring Out Absolutely. stuff. There's some really awesome stuff Good coming stuff up. Coming I up. think Ben Law's doing something, of mm-hmm. course. Australia's favourite homosexual. The Australian's favourite homosexual. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I misspoke. <laughs> um, I want to thank our guest, Alice Workman. Um, I'm Rebecca. <laughs> I want I want to thank our guest, Alice Workman. Thank you, Alice. Uh, uh, I want to thank everyone at Spring Out Fest, uh, everyone at uh, Tuggeranong Arts Centre, uh, the Community Arts and Cultural Development Program, and particularly Aidan Delaney, who brought us to Canberra and organised this whole event. So thank you, Aidan. Um, I'm sure against everyone else's wishes. Yeah, good judgment. Um, <laughs> On behalf of all the Canberrans in the room, I'd like to thank you for not making too many jokes about Canberra. Never. Uh, never. It's beautiful. It. I think it gets an unfair rap. I really do. It's a pleasant They're going to put that on the tourist <laughs> tourism there. Gets an unfair rap. Um, Was voted number three uh, best travel destination by Lonely Planet. All right. Come uh, on. <laughs> Let's not get too crazy. Um, and I want to yeah, thank... Are you upset because the Sky Whale isn't here? Is that... <laughs> I am upset. Where is the Sky Whale? We were discussing this earlier and we've decided that it's overseas. Okay. You can't just decide where the Sky the Whale is. Oh. What shed? <laughs> Sitting in a shed somewhere. Well, <laughs> this is a anyway, real bummer the, to end the, the show sky, on. The sky whale was shot in the Free head. Free the sky whale. <laughs> um, I'm starting a hashtag. <laughs> uh, I want to thank you all so much for coming today. I've just got word that the uh, blur map has been destroyed. <laughs> uh, so it's too late to see it. You've made your choice and, uh, and we're really happy that you did because uh, we wouldn't do this uh, without your support. And thank you, everyone. So thanks for coming. Thanks, everyone. Thank you.
I'm